0: Hello and welcome to or welcome back to a runner's life podcast. I'm the host Marcus Brown. I've gone from a 4.55 marathon down to running a sub three hour marathon. The idea of this podcast is to explore what a runner's life is by speaking to runners and experts to learn from their experiences and to expand on our own boundaries of what a runner's life could represent. If you want to get updates on the podcast or want to see what I'm up to, Follow me on Instagram at A Runner's Life underscore podcast and at The Marathon Marcus, all one word. If you find value in the show, please subscribe and share it with your community and leave a rating on your podcast platform that you use, as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash A Runner's Life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hi, Nick, welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you?
1: Hi, Marcus. Uh, Great to chat to you. I'm really, really good. Thanks. Looking forward to um, looking
0: forward to chatting with you today. And likewise, we had a really cool conversation offline before starting. You know, we spoke a little bit about your journey and we spoke about my running as well, trying to break up 240 and you know i'm definitely going to take you up in your your kind offer to uh, run with you to do some pacing runs because i think it's so important to run with people faster and you just uh, push you along really
1: <laughs> most certainly yeah yeah that offer still stands i don't know exactly which which marathon you're targeting next but if you look at your journey you've come from what a 455 marathon down to a 256 so you're getting closer and closer but obviously the closer you get the the tighter the margins get as well but i'm sure a few quality tempo sessions uh you come to my local which is battersea park i'll i'll come visit you at your local um which is probably vicky park yeah um and we'll bank some quality sessions prior to to giving a neck your next marathon a good shot
0: no i appreciate it mate so yeah next marathon for me is the london Marathon.
1: okay great
0: Home home city marathon so looking forward to it
1: i'll be there as well so it'll, it'll be a good one to target that
0: awesome so no, thank you for coming on the podcast uh, the podcast is called a runner's life so what does a runner's life mean to you
1: so that's a very good question a runner's life when i initially got into running the way i did was you know a lot of people lose a bet or commit to something stupid or you know goes along a path like that i kind of committed to a ridiculous race um, in south africa called the comrades Marathon. So the Comrades Marathon's an, an, a 90 kilometer ultra Marathon is a ninety-kilometer ultra-marathon run between Durban and Peter Maresburg. It's all on-road, and it's really, really tough. Um, that's probably an understatement. So, basically, think of doing the hardest marathon you've ever done, followed by the next hardest marathon you've ever done, followed by a super tough park run, and that's what Comrades Marathon is. So. What, what happened was I went with my, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, Taryn, she's now my wife, and we went to support her parents running comrades. I was 20, yeah, I was 20 at the time, so during my university days, didn't really ever think I would get into running at that stage, it's not that appealing, obviously, when, you, when you're when you busy partying and, and out having fun in university, and then we went down to support her parents doing comrades, and... Um, I remember getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go and support them along the route and thinking, this is ridiculous. At that stage, I was probably only waking up at around half past 8, 9 every morning. And um, I was standing along the Comrades route and we had been waiting there for, for what felt like hours and hours. And eventually, the lead runners of Comrades started coming through. And the anticipation and the hype was just incredible. I mean, there was a helicopter flying over just the the speed that these guys were running at was incredible. And I remember just looking at the guy coming first and I mean, I still get goosebumps thinking about it and, and seeing him, you know, running so hard in this 90 kilometer event. And I was so inspired by it. And I just thought this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's a race I have to do one day. My wife, Taryn, actually, she felt the same way. So yeah, I suppose it was a calling at that stage. And, um, this was, this was back in, in 2010 uh, that we supported them for the first time, and we thought, you know what? we can do this race if we commit to it properly. So we committed to doing it in 2014. and I promise you in the blink of an eye, it was 2014 and we, <laughs> we had to do this this 90 kilometer ridiculous ultra marathon coming from from no running background at all really. So oh, we did a couple of, of marathons in prep for it. Probably started preparing properly about five, six months before, as you do for comrades, and um, and that's where it all started. So yeah, I did my did my first marathon in three seventeen, and I thought, you know what, if if I could do that in my first, imagine, you know, with with quite a bit of training, you know, what what could I achieve one day? And I started getting slightly more competitive with myself. And you know, I always back myself to to try and improve and try and I suppose be better than yesterday. Um, and it's the exact position I find myself in today. So I'm still trying to beat my my marathon PB, which is currently just under two thirty. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to to constantly improve both as a runner and, and now a coach. So it started off by by committing to a crazy race, and then became sort of a passion. And I would say a hobby, but probably more than a hobby. So since then I've done about maybe 15 ultras and probably around 27 marathons now. Yeah. Um, over the course of the last seven, eight years. And yeah, so it became a, a really a big part of my life. And eventually it became a full time job as well. So I I got into the coaching things about just over a year ago. And it grew so quickly, and it was incredible to see um, the people I was helping improve so quickly. That um, I took a leap of faith. I was I was working in the corporate world as a banker, but I was a lot more passionate about helping people um, and and getting people to their full potentials. And you know, like for me, doing a PB is incredible, but helping someone else do their PB is is even more satisfying. And I suppose that. From that point, it was a calling as well. So I, I took a bit of a risk to to go full time into running coaching, and this was in June last year. And I haven't looked back since. The group's grown incredibly nicely. So we currently just over sixty at the moment. The vibe's amazing. I'm absolutely blessed to be able to do what I love every day. And yeah, I, I find motivation from them doing well. It, it sort of motivates me to do well. It's just a contagious circle. So. Yeah, I'd say the more that my run has improved, it's helping me improve more. And what started off as a ridiculous commitment to a stupid race has now become, you know, a huge, huge part of my life. It's my full time job and my ultimate passion in life, I guess.
0: That's such an amazing story to hear where you started to, where the new chapter is sort of evolving now. And I just want to take a step back really and just deal with the elephant in the room here. Do you ever get mistaken for on social media for the Comrades champion in 1991, Nick Bester? <laughs> uh,
1: all the time. Um, so when I initially got into running, obviously, like I was just, I, we we just had the same name, and, and not many runners sort of knew about me at the time. But then, as you start improving, as your reputation grows, as you start like t- starting to to bang out good times, then it gets people like talking about it. So. Funny story is is in South Africa um, when I started doing well. So I suppose my first comrades I did a seven fourteen, which is a very solid time. It's a silver medal. Anything under anything under seven thirty is a silver. Then I did a six fifty eight the year after, and then I did a six twenty eight. So in my third year, when I did a six twenty eight, I came seventy third overall. And at that stage, um, I suppose it was like sort of raising more awareness in the running world. Um, I was still quite young at the time, so. <laughs> a lot of people kept on asking me are you are you Nick Best's son are you Nick Best's son and i kept on saying no and denying it um which obviously i'm not and then eventually i just gave in and i told one one person asked me are, are you Nick Best's son i was like yeah i am and then from then onwards the rumor <laughs> spread like wildfire within the running community in south africa so uh yeah i would say almost all the runners started believing that i was his son um it's just yeah it's crazy that's you know, a past Comrades winner, Nick Bester, and now a full-time coach, and specifically Comrades coach, um, has the same name as me. But in no way am I related to him. But if you ask a runner in South Africa, am I related to him? They'll probably tell you that I'm his son.
0: Yeah, depending what which circles you're moving, isn't it? Yeah. Some might say you're his son. Some might say you're his cousin. <laughs> 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 some might say you're his trading partner. Exactly. exactly.
1: <laughs> I'd like to say I'm the up-and-coming Nick Bester. But yeah, ho- hopefully that'll, that'll play out quite nicely in my favor.
0: Yeah he's an accomplished champion in his own right. So I think, have you ever met him?
1: I've met him quite a few times in South Africa. Yeah. I've got one or two pictures from him, but I mean, I don't want to post that just now. People comment like father, like son or something (laughs) like that. So, so I'll keep those to myself and I'll stop those rumors from spreading any further.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's the best way to do it. And now you spoke about the comrades marathon and the, you know, silver medal, you know, in your first run. And it's such an amazing race. And, I don't think people that aren't from South Africa really get the significance of it, especially in just like how important it is to the people and how much it's covered in the press. Can you kind of give us a sense of what that's like?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, in the running scene in South Africa, if you're a really, really good runner, um, you often tend to target two big races, um, both of which are ultra marathons. So the one is Comrades Marathon which is the 90 kilometers? It's known as the ultimate human race. And the other one is the Two Oceans Marathon. So that's in Cape Town. Two Oceans is 56 kilometers. And it's known as the world's most beautiful ultra marathon. It really, really is. And I would, if you're thinking about doing one of the two, um, start with Two Oceans. 56 kilometers is far, but at least, you know, it's a realistic distance. And you do see some unbelievable scenes running in Cape Town. I mean, there's there's this one road called Chapman's Peak. And you're running basically on the side of the ocean. If you look down, there's about a, I don't know, maybe a 200 meter drop off to the ocean. It's just incredible. It's it's sort of a moment when you're really tired and you've got 40 Ks in the legs and you're sick and tired of running and you look to the side and you see this beautiful ocean view. You sort of forget, you know, what you're doing, why you're tired. And it's just, it's breathtaking. So I would highly recommend doing that. And then Comrades Marathon, I mean, that race will always have a very, very special place in my heart. It's difficult to describe the feeling that you get from it if you haven't done it yourself. So honestly, if you're thinking about doing it or if you think you're capable of doing it one day, I would highly, highly recommend it. It is a very, very grueling race. And I often say the training for it is almost harder than the day if you're training properly. So, you know, you got to put in big, big mileage weeks. Um, And yeah, you, I would say, so it's 90 Ks. I would say if you've trained properly, you're good for the first 60 Ks, but that still leaves you 30 kilometers of going through a very, very dark place, you know, questioning your life sometimes, but coming out the other side and finishing that, when you cross that finish line is a feeling that I cannot describe. It's the best feeling that I've ever had. It's a sense of accomplishments, not just from finishing the day, but getting through the training until finishing the race. And it's just an incredible, incredible feeling that I hope to experience one day again. So I'm not just I'm not completely done with that race just yet. Um, I've done three at the moment. But The other thing about Comrades is that it is quite a selfish race, so you sacrifice a lot if you want to do well in it. You obviously sacrifice a lot of your shorter distance speed. It's really rewarding when you get quicker over the 5k distance, 10k distance, whereas I found when I trained for Comrades, and when I will go for it again one day, I'm looking to do the 100th edition, which will probably be in about four or five years time, that you sacrifice a lot of that short distance speed because you're after that ultra power. You want that strength and that stamina for the last third of the race for it really counts and you end up sacrificing a lot of the shorter distance speed so it's a hell of a sacrifice but at the end of the day it's a thousand percent worth it and I would recommend it to anyone if you're thinking about doing it
0: and can you sort of talk about those conversations that you have in your head like you know you're questioning your life towards the end of it because like you saying, comrades isn't a jog in a park you know the strict cutoff times you know if you, you don't get cheaper the times
1: yeah yeah for sure no I completely get what you're saying so I mean, I'll tell you a great example of what went through my head on my second last run. It was quite a hot year, so even though it's winter in South Africa, it still can get up to twenty six twenty eight degrees and when you're running for um let's say six hours on the legs, um you know you do go through quite a lot. I remember going through the eighty kilometer mark, so I'd done eighty ks and I was averaging at that stage around for 15 a kilometer for 80 k's and i remember being feeling depleted so i'd had like my energy gels and my electrolyte drinks and there's you know there's water stations every three k's and i was taking on as much as i could but i specifically remember with 10 k's to go looking up and there was a kid eating an ice cream in uh, like one of the supporters and he was even i think he was behind three people and this kid was eating his ice cream and i was in running in the middle of the road and the corner of my eye caught this ice cream and next thing i just started running towards this ice cream and i almost pushed people through and i nearly grabbed it thankfully i stopped myself before and i thought what on earth am i doing you know what the hell is this i'm trying to grab a kid's ice cream um and then it hit me and that's when i i realized i'm in pure survival mode um and that's just a perfect example of what you go through in that race so it's something completely out of character. Something I wouldn't believe that I would ever do. But at that point in time, it's pure survival, and that's that's what went through my head. And and thankfully, I stopped myself before I did. But yeah, that, those are the, the sort of thoughts that go through your mind.
0: I mean, thankfully, it didn't end that way, and you stop yourself. But on one hand, we're running, I guess we're almost not always, but like we're searching to how far we can go, how far we can push our limits. And I guess those are kind of the, the grown experiences as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. Often I find, I mean, at, at that stage of the race, it's the people that you're running for. I mean, we all have our, our personal reasons for running, but I think a lot of us do run for for people that have meant a lot to us or mean a lot to us. And I think at that stage, it's where it's like, okay, cool. This person I dedicated this race to is going to help me through the last 10 Ks because it is pure survival. I often actually find that with London Marathon as well, when I'm going for it, I'll do... Uh, a few runs uh, along the river. So just before you get to Buckingham Palace, and that's probably about two Ks to go. So that whole stretch along the river, I find thinking, okay, when I get to the marathon here, you've done 38 Ks, you've got four Ks to go. This is where that person that you think of kicks in so on and so forth. And I find that really helps. So whenever I get there on the London Marathon route, I'm pretty much depleted, exhausted, giving it my best shot. But it's that person I think about that gets me through that last four Ks.
0: I think it's amazing to hear that. And just sort of going back to the, the, the races in general and just looking at the wider context, you know, you talked about the Two Oceans, Comrade. I understand that you have a coaching role for the events company, Africa Marathons. You're the person to go to if someone's looking to do that, but also looking to understand what training is required to do those races.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. So Africa Marathons are the company, they the the number one travel company for runners in the UK wanting to do two oceans or comrades or actually Cape Town marathons up and coming that's really become a popular marathon which is great to see and I'm um, yeah I'm the official coach for them so I've written training plans for them I think it helps a lot the fact that I've done those races before so I've been through through those emotions and through the training and I know exactly what it's like. And I've also done quite a lot of training camps there before. So I know the route really well. I know that the Two Oceans route very well, but more specifically, I know the Comrades route quite well. We, we used to go for a training camp every year prior to the race and just run sections of the route. So it's really nice to to prepare people for for when they come up at, uh, like um, for the first time. So for example, there's a section um, between 40 and 50 Ks that if you take that section easier and back off, it just makes the last 40k's a lot more enjoyable. Whereas if you a newcomer to the race, you're not really familiar with that section, you might, you know, pick it up and push too soon, and then it's a long, long, long last 40k's. So, yeah, it's a, it's been a pleasure being able to help people in that race, and I think for a race like Comrades, the more you know, the better, because yeah, it's a long way to go if you if you get things wrong.
0: Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense, and I really like the idea that if it's possible pre-COVID to go down there and just to understand the route because like you say, I think it's a race of so many different parts. It's not just one. You just can't just look at the, the kilometers and think that's it, A to B, go. You know, you've got to manage that race and I think it's so important to do that and that physical stuff also helps the mental side as well, like you're saying, so you can prepare, you know what to do, when to give, what's coming up.
1: Exactly, exactly. Are you thinking about doing this one day?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's on my list to do. Lovely, but um, I want to get get my championship goal first because I think I remember hearing you say it before. Like it's something you have got to really train for, and, and I'm the same sort of thing. I, I don't think you can kind of jump between distances. I think you've got to respect it. if you if I'm with training for the comrades, I'm going to be giving the time to train for it, and not just going to be like I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to be doing that, I'm going to go for it. So it's definitely on my list to do.
1: Nice, amazing. Trust me, you won't regret it. So, yeah, the feeling you get afterwards, um, is worth every second. But the way you're doing it now is, is the right way. Focus on your marathon time first. And then once you feel you've peaked in your marathon time, then you like push onto ultras. I've kind of done it the other way around. I started with the ultra running scene, and now I'm trying to improve my 5K time. Um, the normal way is to start with your 5K time and then go all the way through to to the ultra scene. But um, yeah, that's one thing I also just wanted to mention is that the difference between running in South Africa um, and, and in the UK is that all the good runners, so it's a good and a bad thing, I suppose. So a lot of the good runners if you're a good young runner you end up targeting two oceans and comrades and growing up there you know you think that's the normal way um because all the it attracts all the good runners those are the main events okay cape town Marathon's up and coming now but back like five six years ago when i was running um there it wasn't such a big thing so it's great in the way that you you know you're targeting these amazing races but it's also not that good from the point of view that you think it's normal to run 90 kilometers and, you know, you end up sacrificing a lot of the the short distance stuff and even up to the marathon. So after I moved here to the UK just over four years ago and I did London Marathon, it made me realize, you know, how incredible these international marathons are, how much faster they are than some of the hot hilly marathons in SA with with. You know, not that much support. You come to to London, there's half a million supporters out there. The weather's great. You're at low altitude. It's just the most incredible vibe. So yeah, I'm really, really glad that I've come across this side and I've been able to to really improve over the marathon distance. And, you know, now targeting a a marathon major medal. So I'm really looking forward to going around and and doing the marathon majors. So I think that's the difference here in, in the UK is that you end up targeting those you know those international marathons, um, whereas in South Africa you sacrifice a lot of that marathon enjoyments for two oceans and comrades.
0: That's really interesting to hear that sort of perspective, really between you know the London runner and the South Africa. Well, the UK runner and the yeah. South African runner, and just sort of thinking wider than that as well. Just thinking about diversity and, and race, and yeah. just be good to sort of talk about like your experiences of like how that that living in South Africa is, because yeah. on the outside looking in. You know, with limited ideas, you know, we think of like Nelson Mandela, who's obviously sadly Mm -hmm. passed, and just the progress that he made moving forward. And it's been interesting to get an idea of like what South Africa is like from just an outsider, really. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. So first of all, it's it's incredible how running pulls people together, I suppose, all over the world, in particular in in South Africa. So South Africa's obviously, it's it's had its issues and will continue to have its issues. It's not an, an issue that's overlooked. But I must say, within the running world, it's incredible just how people pull together. So it's it's a very, very, let me call it friendly nation. And I I realized this when as soon as I go back to S.A. and I go for for my morning run and you run past people, no matter what the color of their skin, everyone greets each other. And it's just the most amazing thing. So when I first moved over and I, I get that, obviously, London has a lot of runners. So, you know, if you're greeting everyone, you're sort of out of breath. But when I first moved over, I, I, I was greeting everyone because it was just normal for me. You know, it wasn't very common to get greeted back. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna make it my mission to, to get London runners greeting each other. So for the first sort of six months of running in London, I went out of my way to greet someone. So I'd shout, you know, good morning, wave, hello, how you doing, this, this, this. So I don't know, 80% of the time people looked at me like I'm crazy. And 20% of the time, I probably got a good reaction out of it. And then after trying for six months, I realized, okay, that's just not going to work. And then now, when I go back to South Africa, I'm sort of the runner that when someone greets me, it, it takes me by surprise. I'm like, oh, yes, I forgot. You know, <laughs> That's like the normal normal way. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's incredible. So going back to, let's just say, a race like Comrades, for example, you get to the start line, and I mean 85% of the participants are, are people of color, but at that point in time, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Everyone pulls together. So you sing the national anthem. You then, you they play chariots of fire. You sing a, a South African song called Chor Shaloza, You know, the cock crows three times and then you go. But at that point in time, everyone's sort of in unity that, you know, it's emotional if you look around there's just tears everywhere because people know the journey they're about to embrace and embark on everyone's hugging each other everyone's supporting each other and i, I honestly believe everyone at that start line that doesn't even look at the color of your skin it's just it's amazing to to be a part of and um, it's amazing to see you know how how running can can pull people together like that so i mean i had a lot of black running friends in south africa and uh, you know it didn't really matter if, if if they were white or black it's just was just so good to to be part of one unified group and yeah runnings has has a lot of pros to it and and that's really a big pro when it comes to to diversity and addressing the situation in south africa
0: i think it's so powerful that you mentioned that because the power of sport to unite people and i don't know if people have seen the the movie invictus but it basically gives like, like a hollywood version of like what happened with nelson mandela and his involvement with you know the south african rugby team And how it was traditionally viewed by the black community and how he made it his aim to kind of create, you know, everyone together, you know, the rainbow nation, and eventually winning the World Cup and Mm -hmm. how it sort of had an impact.
1: I know. I I think that sort of started the trend, let's say. So prior to that, um, during the apartheid times, it was obviously very bad. But I mean, Nelson Mandela, what an incredible human. The fact that he made it his mission and, you know, went through all of that, pulled the nation together. And that started a trend going forward. And I think from then onwards it was pretty obvious that sport unifies people and especially in a nation like South Africa. And I, I you know, I just really hope that continues. So it's really nice to just see how friendly people are within the running community there, no matter what the colour of your skin. Yeah, it's just it's it's something I'm I'm proud to be a part of.
0: Yeah, it definitely comes across in just the way that you coach and just your general attitude and it comes across in your social media posts as well and I know it's going to sound like a really weird segue to go from Nelson Mandela to this, but yeah. <laughs> I always wondered in your Instagram posts, like how you get such ridiculous airtime in your jump shots. <laughs> yeah, have just do some c- serious calf raises, mate. I don't know what's happened there.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, let me give you my, my secret away. So pretty much what I do is I, I usually jump off a ledge. So I'll, I'll jump, let's say, off a bench and I'll yeah. jump to the side and do a burst photo and let's say the burst photo takes thirty pictures. I'll choose that one specific money shot that, like, you know, it looks like I'm way in the air. Some I actually did one the other day, and someone commented on my Instagram saying, "Like, you get great air time, but you must be photoshopping these images." And I was like, "You know, I definitely don't photoshop these images. I'm not, you know, I don't have that much time. I'm not that bored." But yeah, I just seem to get that that jump going going quite quite good when I jump off off ledges.
0: That's funny that someone would say that too. To me. it's like, it's like, well, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like you say it's more effort to actually Photoshop <laughs> you around and put you into that image, and oh, then no, you know, no, if yeah. you get found out, it's just it's ridiculous. Like, why would you do it? So all that time and effort, it's just if you're <laughs> gonna jump, jump. If you're not gonna jump, just don't jump.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. So, yeah, and I mean the thing is, I post the one photo in the first photo that that comes out well. So of the the thirty photos, I post the moneymaker, but the other twenty nine are. are probably awful that i delete so
0: yeah and i know the stuff you're doing your coaching and we can talk a little bit about what you some of the races you've done as well but i just want to know right now in your running and your training what are you excited about at the moment
1: so i'm probably excited about three or four things the first thing is um breaking 15 minutes for 5ks so i did my last race prior to lockdown i did a 1506 so i've got seven seconds to find that was around Dorney Lake. Beautiful, beautiful lake to run around. But it wasn't basically in a solo effort. So I didn't have anyone to work with. And then I did a five-mile time trial, which is eight kilometers about two weeks ago. And I went through the 5K mark in just over 15 minutes. So basically, I know I'm, I'm on the verge. I just need the right race. So I actually entered a race today. That's on the 5th of April. So I think it's uh, it's quite a quite a competitive 5K. So I stand quite a good chance there where I'll go for it. I realized it's the day after Easter. So I guess I'll try and hold off as many chocolates as I can on the Sunday and then save them <laughs> for after the race on the Monday. Um, but if I don't manage to, then I guess I'll be running off chocolates on the day. And so that's the first race that gets me quite excited is that 5K and, and trying to break like a lifetime goal of 15 minutes. The next one is Wrexham Marathon. So, I mean... It's been so long since, you know, we've all done an official marathon that I think we sort of forget how tough that last 10Ks can be. Um, I did do a solo marathon in October last year, but you never quite push yourself to the levels that you can when it's in a real race with competition, with other people around, with supporters, so on and so forth. So Erexa Marathon, I don't know, I'm hoping it goes ahead. That's in eight weeks time. And that's an elite only marathon. So I think it stands a higher chance of going ahead because obviously it's not attracting as much, as many runners and they're trying to get elite sign off and make it COVID secure. It's tricky because, you know, do you train for that? It's only eight weeks away, do you back off? So I've kind of gone for like a hybrid model where I'm keeping my base fitness levels there. And if it's confirmed and booked in the diary, well then I'll do five, six big weeks in prep for that. So those are the the two sh- like close races I'm looking forward to, um, and then the next ones I'm doing London Marathon and Chicago Marathon later this year, which I'm really really hopeful that that those are, are looking good to go ahead. That really gets me you know excited. I love for those sort of races. So hopefully some some really good PBs on the cards to come. And then the last thing I'm looking forward to is a head to head five k with with Matt Reese, so he's also known as the Welsh runner. And yeah, we've been our, our PBs are very, very similar. Uh, we both kind of back ourselves in this 5K. So it's going to be really cool to to go head to head with him. There can obviously only be one winner. So sorry for that, Matt. But yeah, we both want to break 15 minutes for 5Ks. And it'll be, it'll be really nice to to work with each other and then have a shoot out the last K. And if we can both dip under 15 minutes, well, that'll be the, the first prize. And if I can just, you know, tip my head and beat him at the finish line, that that would be the, the the next prize, you know. So so that's kind of what I've got to look forward to coming up.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing that as well. And I don't know, I thought in my head when really you said there's one winner, and I was thinking the winner's running, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's exactly true. I mean, yeah, we both we
1: we're very similar with our our running demeanors and our PBs and stuff. So I'm looking forward to it more than anything
0: yeah I, I want to talk about the marathon but before we get there i just want to yeah. quickly go back to the 5k and i'm making assumptions here but i know some runners that really detest the 5k that come from the marathon but what is it for you that you enjoy running the 5K? well, joy might not be the right word but what is it about the 5k that you know you helps you be you know just your best as a runner oh
1: it's a tricky one there yeah. so okay, i still consider myself an ultra runner Um, I think it's where my strengths lie. And a marathoner is probably where where my strengths lie as well. A five kilometer is not where my strengths lie. But I think that's why it appeals to me. And the other reason why is because I'm so close to 15 minutes that I kind of have to go until I break that 15-minute goal. Like I said, I've got seven seconds to find. You know, when when I first started running, I... Started, my, I mean, my first 5K race was at five minutes a case. So it was in 25 minutes. It then took me years and years and years to probably about six years. Yeah, I've been running for eight years. So in my first six years, um, it took me from 25 minutes to break 17 minutes. And I, I'll i never forget that feeling of breaking 17 minutes for the first time. I mean, it, it ranks right up there with, with the best feelings in running I've ever had just because it was a goal I'd worked so hard towards. And it was, you know, something I never, ever thought I'd be capable of. And and breaking 17 was just a huge thing for me. And yeah, from there, I just carried on training. I carried on doing similar stuff. Just, you know, my body was able to handle slightly, a little bit more intensity. And it was able to, you know, recover a bit quicker. I was able to train maybe a little bit smarter. And yeah, now I'm on 1507. So, I mean... When I broke seventeen, it was the best feeling. If I, uh, you know, if I really, which I hope I do, break fifteen minutes for five k's, um, I think it might even be a better feeling. So, so that's what's getting me going at the moment. Um, it's quite nice to break down. It's five times three minute k's with with one two fifty nine. If you want to get uh, fourteen fifty nine, so so come that race in April, I'm gonna try and average under three from the start and, and not let it go over but yeah it'll be really nice to bag it I, I know I'm, I'm so close so that's what what gets me excited for it do
0: you know I, I really like hearing people just say their goals and just be specific about it I, I mean I'm not saying that everyone needs to be like that on social media because it's, it's dependent on your personality some people don't want to share these things but I really for, like for me like I put my goals out there as well so it's really refreshing to hear other people. And I'm not saying it's just me and <laughs> no everyone else follows, but I think just other people, it's just so cool to hear other people because those are the, that's because I get energy from seeing the stuff that you're doing as well.
1: Yeah. Well, that, well, that's exactly what right. I'm not out there to beat anyone else or compete with anyone else. I just, I really want to just improve um, on my own times as best as I can. Um, and, you know, the cool thing, I suppose the coolest thing is that, is that I know I haven't peaked yet. So I know I'm capable of a lot more um but ultimately it's just to to help you know other people if 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 you know if you're let's say you're a 25k runner and you take years and years and years to break 20 minutes um you know that gives me as much satisfaction it's incredible so we've all got our our own abilities um and capabilities should i say and yeah i think it's really important not to compare yourself to other runners so like if i get if i break 15 minutes for me that'll be the most incredible thing i'll celebrate that for months and months i mean it gives me goosebumps thinking about it but then if i look at an elite race there's people breaking 14 minutes comfortably so i'm i don't want to compare myself to to sort of some of those people you know i just want to try and be a better me um and i think that's the incredible thing and it's it's also an incredible thing um that i've learned through instagram i've, I've met so many runners one of which is yourself, and it's just been so cool to see your journey from four fifty-five over the marathon to now two fifty-six. Just imagine when you know when you break two forty-five and then two forty, it's it's going to be incredible. You you're not competing with anyone else; you can trying to improve. And yeah, I think it's just it's it's really
0: really cool to see. I think you hit the nail on the head. Is like when you talked about if you, when you do break it, you'd be celebrating for a while. That sort reminds me when I did my recent marathon because you know the work that you've taken to to get to that point. And like you are saying, you're just not competing against anyone else. You're just, you know, looking to be your best. And I think it's such a sense of satisfaction that no one could take away from you. And just sort of going back to your tagline, just a little bit bester, based on your your surname. Yeah. Can you talk to me specifically about what being your best looks like? Because we know you've spoken about different distances, but I'm just trying to understand, like, Nick, what is basically, like, what is being your best look like to you?
1: Very good question. So uh, let me start with the running side of things. So um, being my best is to just, I suppose, unlock my full potential. So I know I'm on track to unlocking it. And I know I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. I know it's not going to be PBs forever. And I'm going to hit a certain point where I can't improve any longer. Um, And I'm completely fine with it when I get to that point. But for now, I know I'm far away from that point. So I just want to give it my absolute best for the next few years um, keep on doing what I'm doing, you know, try and, you know, set the bar high, believe in myself and see where it takes me, you know, whether it takes me to, let's say a 225 marathon or a 220 marathon, who knows, you know, a sub, like a sub 220 would be incredible. If you told me when I first started running that I would have broken 17 minutes for 5k's, or let's just say i had broken 245 for marathon, I would have laughed at you there's no ways i would have believed it but it's incredible what you can achieve when you when you just consistently work hard week in and week out um when you find a formula that works for you and keep doing it so i think you know without putting numbers on times i would just love to fulfill my full potential and i would love to look back in 20 years time and say okay cool you know for those five six years I absolutely gave him my all. I don't regret anything. And that was worth it. Like there's, it's it's tough. You know, there's easy times, there's hard times. Sometimes you really question why you're doing things. And, you know, physically it's tough. Mentally, I would say it's probably even tougher sometimes. But when you walk away, knowing that you're fitter and faster than ever before, or getting to a goal, let's say you're returning from injury and, and getting a goal you never thought was possible. Those moments make it 100% worth it. So, so that's, what being a little bit better for myself is, and then I suppose the other side is is my coaching group. So, you know, we we all did virtual races this last weekend. It was incredible to see how many runners did PBs, and yeah, I would just like to sort of grow that group with the right type of people. And by the right type of people, I mean people that encourage other runners that are out, you know, to support fellow teammates. Those people at, at races where they're screaming for fellow teammates. You know, and just it's it's the vibe that's that's I suppose created within the group already has been amazing, and and that's I suppose what a little bit better from that side of things means to me. You know, just creating a group where people are encouraging each other rather than trying to be better than each other and compete with each other, I think is really really so important. I've seen it so many times um with runners, especially on the competitive end, where people get so obsessed with times. That they actually take the enjoyment out of running, and then they they eventually achieve their times, and then they just hit the bar straight away without looking back, without realizing what they've just achieved. You know, without celebrating and rewarding themselves for what they've just achieved. So yeah, that that's not what running's about for me. Running's about creating a community where we all support each other and and all just do the best that we possibly can. You know, whether it's a, a sub thirty minute five k for you or a sub five hour marathon, whatever it is. If you do your best and, you know, you, you enjoy it, then I suppose that's that's ultimately why we run at the end of the day.
0: I think there's so many takeaways in that that I could go down, but I kind of want to go back to the mental side as well. And people can look at you from the outside and think, it's easy for Nick, he can just do whatever. But, you know, you've had your challenges running. I know you set the goal to break sub 230. yeah. And in London, you just ran two, 230 in one second. yeah. And then can you sort of talk about, like, just the process of work from that then moving on to berlin where you actually went sub 230
1: <laughs> oh man that was a hard one to take let me not lie okay so at the time it was a long it was a big big running goal of mine to try and break 230 in the marathon so i just something i'd worked towards for three years okay so i'd done london marathon the first year when i came across here and i did a 242 the next year i trained really really hard and it was that super hot year and I believed I was in shape, but I did a 235, which I suppose was a great result considering the heat and uh, everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe the real feel was sort of 230, but obviously it's a time that counts at the end of the day. And then the next year, I got into really good shape. It was then we got married um taryn my wife and i and we went to mauritius for for honeymoon and it was all inclusive and this was three weeks before the marathon so it was kind of like cocktails and you know all you can eat all you can drink it was mauritius honeymoon you know once i was like you know running will always be there you know let me not let it affect my honeymoon so i indulged i sort of you know had every cocktail i could i you know, I had so much breakfast that I wanted to skip lunch. I then had a double lunch and a double dinner. It was just awesome. And then I I got back um, to London and I did a two-week crash course and lined up at London Marathon. And I knew I wasn't in shape to do 2.30, but I thought, you know what? We live once. What's the worst thing that can happen? I didn't know what's going to happen. I didn't know what's was going to be that bad. But I thought, let me just go for it. So... I'm always sort of like a negative split or equal split strategy type of runner. I think it's from my ultra running background and my my safety mechanism. But in this race, I got into quite a good group early on and we went, it felt quite quick and it felt like I actually, I knew I couldn't sustain it the whole way, but I just told myself to go with it and hang in there and, you know, I'll deal with the consequences at a later stage. Let me just go with it and the group got faster and faster, and it was quite a windy day, so I didn't want to fall off the group. So I stuck with them until halfway, and we went through halfway in 71.59, okay? So basically 72, which is 224 marathon pace. So I knew I'd banked quite a lot of time, and I knew I wasn't gonna do the equal splits. So eventually, you know, I, I fell off the bus, you know, the wind hit me quite hard, and then the Great Wall of China came, basically. So I hit a proper wall with about 10Ks to go. And I kept on looking at the average pace on my watch and trying to do the maths. And, you know, for the first 32Ks of a marathon, my my brain, my maths brain works perfectly. For the last 10Ks of a marathon, it's impossible to do maths. It's like your brain's just scrambled. So I kept on trying to work out how much time I had to do certain kilometres in. And, you know, it came, I, I worked it out from 10Ks, from 5Ks, from 3Ks. And I knew I had time in the bank, but I knew I was slowing down as well. And eventually it came down. So I was averaging three, put it this way for the first 5Ks, I, I averaged 322. It came down to me having to do the last kilometer in 332. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I was depleted and I was just like, I, You know, I can't, like, I just can't physically can't do it. And, you know, that last kilometer, um, you, you sort of start going towards Buckingham Palace. I had a few friends there that were holding the South African flag for me that, uh, you know, they were going to give it to me. And I looked at them and I just, you know, didn't go for the flag because I knew I was right on my limit. And I thought I've come so far in this race. I can't give up now, even though I'm depleted, I have to go for it. So from a K to go, I picked it up a bit, um, And then you know there's that massive 800 meters to go sign um and then 600 200 and then the finish so at 800 to go i thought i can't sustain this if i if i keep going at this pace i'm not going to finish with 800 meters to go so i slowed down to 600 meters to go and then at 600 i was like nick you can't give up you've come so far just keep going so then i pushed from there till 400 meters to go at 400 meters to go I was depleted i literally couldn't like i wanted i i i didn't know if i'd get to the finish so i slowed down again um and then at 200 meters to go you can see the clock and i remember looking at the clock and it was i don't know it was on 229 and thinking i have to go for this and my form was nowhere you know you see that finishing video of you at at london marathon my my left leg was basically dragging on the ground I i looked like i've never seen myself run like adam all my life um and I thought, this is it. I've run this whole race. Let me just give it my absolute all for the last 200. And I started sprinting towards that clock. And the more I looked at the clock, the more I felt like it was just ticking too fast for me. And I gave it my all and I gave it my all. And I just had a bad feeling. And I sprinted and I sprinted. And it went 230, Boom. And then I crossed the finish line. And I knew straight away and I, I pulled up on the side and, you know, the finish of London marathon, there's there's quite a lot of runners. So the marshals try and, and get you through quite quickly. And I just had my, my sort of my hands up, I fell to the floor almost, and I had my, my head in my hands and the, the marshals like, you know, please move down. And I was like, please just, just give me a few minutes. And he's like, what's wrong. So I said, you know, I just did a, a two thirty 30 and one second. Um, and then he looked at me, he's like, Oh, okay, no, that's a great run. Well done. And I thought, no ways. Like, oh man, that's not what I want to hear right now, you know? So anyways, I picked myself up and I I went through to a tree and I actually, I was quite emotional at the time. So I, I let the emotions out. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. I, I had a proper sort of emotional t- like cry or two just to get over it. Um, I think why it was so hard is because I was fighting so hard in the last 10 k's to just find a little bit something extra to get there and to miss it by one second a goal that i'd been working towards for three years or let's say about two seconds because i wanted to go sub was just like some sort of sick joke almost and then at that point i decided that there's only one way to make this right and um i have to break it sometimes so luckily i was entered into berlin marathon later that year so from the end of April until the beginning of September, all my running friends um called me point one and I was known as as point one to them. Um and, and every time it was sort of like it was a reminder that actually, you know, I need to find those two more seconds. And when I did track sessions, when I was dying, my last rep, you know, someone would say point one, point one, find those two seconds. And um yeah, I, I had I had a really good build up to to Berlin. I didn't have a last good two weeks. I picked up um quite a serious injury, but I was sort of had put in enough work to to give it a go and I gave it a go and I finished in two twenty nine fifty at Berlin. I it was the most incredible feeling. And I think after what I'd been through at London, missing it by a second or two seconds, just made it all that much sweeter when I when I finally did it at Berlin later that year. So that was actually the last official marathon that I did. Um, That was Berlin 2019. So September 2019. Um, So I can't wait for the next official one. But yeah, it was the only way I thought I could make things right. And thankfully
0: I did. That's incredible hearing that experience because I know you ran different races, but it reminds me of the same experience I had when I was trying to break sub three. You know, you crossed a line. You've probably run like a PR at the time, but it's not the time that you want so you're like just devastated and you've got someone, you know, you've got the steroids obviously <laughs> trying to move you along and you're just like, let me, let me grieve. They're like, no, you need to keep moving. <laughs> so then you go off and the same sort of thing, like you, 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 you're just like, I was like, same thing, I say, I burst into tears. I was just like, people are like, what's wrong with you? It's like, <laughs> I, just, I just, <laughs> by 20 seconds. And then the, that 20 seconds, like you said, 1.1, 1. 1, that was what you're known by afterwards. And that's all you're, <laughs> what you're thinking about for the,
1: the next marathon. Exactly. Right. But at least, <laughs> So, at least it can give you motivation to work. For me, I used it as motivation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I looked at it in a positive way. But don't get me wrong. It actually emotionally damaged me for, for quite a bit. Having worked um, so hard towards something and to miss it by one second, I just kept on like laughing. I was like, is this some sort of sick joke? I can't believe that this has actually happened. But I, I like looking back at it, I do see the funny side of it. But, I mean, it's also just incredible how, I mean, 2.30 is, is an incredible time and, and at Berlin, 2.29.50. So there's 11 seconds difference between the times. The one I was, you know, stuck under a tree, collapsed, crying my eyes out. The other one I was celebrating and, you know, drinking all the beers in, in Berlin <laughs> and then at, at Oktoberfest afterwards, I celebrated for for months and months and the difference was 11 seconds over 42.2K. So yeah, yeah it's a funny sport that we're we in there. Eh?
0: I'd probably say you're still celebrating, but obviously less the beers and stuff like that because you know the work that you've done to achieve it as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. So I think I had to go through that for it to be to be that sweet um, when I finally did do it.
0: So when you're like looking at it from like, today's position and you look back at that London race and you gave your best of the day, but you just came just a little bit short mm. and then you go to achieve it. I think for people that haven't achieved their goal, whatever that may be, they might be stuck in that position of like just missed a goal and like getting past that. When you look at now, I mean, what lessons did that, I want to say failure, cause it's not a failure yeah. but that, that not achieving your goal teach you and you reflect now.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's a very good question. So the way, you know what I see it often? I will, and I don't know if this is for everyone, but this is the case for me. So I will work really hard. Let's say achieve a goal and it will be the most incredible feeling. But at that point, because I've achieved it, I'll back off a little bit, you know, and I will sort of, it, it was amazing to achieve and I'll celebrate it. But, you know, that's, it is what it is. Whereas if I've just missed the goal, immediately, it just makes me like really, really hungry and driven to do what it takes to get better, to get that goal next time. So honestly, for me, sometimes just missing a goal um, is more motivating and you know, it's it's sort of like lights up a firecracker inside of you to do what it takes to find those extra few seconds because trust me, when you finally do, it's worth it. And you know, the, the more you miss something, I mean I've gone for for a 15 minute 5k, I've gone for it three attempts now. My first one was fifteen sixteen, my second one was fifteen eleven, my third one was fifteen oh six. Every single time I've got to the start line, I've believed that I can break fifteen and missing it by that those few seconds hurts but straight away i'm like i know i'm almost almost there there's one or two things i can tweak and i'll be there so that's the way i see it it's actually often it's a really really good thing to to just miss your goals i think
0: i think that's one of the good things about running and it when it owes us nothing it puts us in these uncomfortable positions where we sometimes get found out but like you say it just teaches us how to really look at the idea of failure is not being a bad thing you know to exactly to learn from it
1: yeah for sure we're all going to succeed and fail along the journey and i suppose it's how you react to those failures will determine how you succeed in the
0: future absolutely and this next point i want to go into this could almost be like a podcast in itself (laughs) and i also feel a bit bad asking it because people have asked me this and there's no real one neat answer yeah i'm just thinking about my training so Looking to go from sub three to sub two forty five to the the London Championship play sub two forty. Yeah. So, looking at your training, can you kind of pinpoint any key things that you did in your training to help you go from sub three to sub two thirty range?
1: Yeah. So, I would pinpoint probably three things. the The first of which is that not much has changed in my training actually. So the structure is a structure that I've worked out has worked for me it's a structure that works for a lot of the, the runners that have joined the group. We sort of all follow a similar structure just on different intensities based on what abilities are and goals are. So I would say if the first thing, and I know you've heard this a million times is consistency. So I'm doing exactly sort of what I did when I was a three hour runner, you know, now being a two thirty runner, I'm doing things obviously I can handle a little bit more, but I'm doing things consistently. Um, and I've been doing it for a consistent period of time, which is what's helped me improve. The the two, se- yeah probably two sessions, most important sessions in my week that are helping me improve and get faster over the marathon distance and, and all other distances. The first of which is my track session. So track Tuesdays, um, I often do it on a Tuesday, is a session that I, I basically never miss. Um, and it's the session in the week that that allows me to build on my speed the most. So you know like it's always easier to do those with a group of people unfortunately i've had to do those solo we've all had to do those solo over the past year or so um but i can't wait to train with a team and a group of people so track and interval sessions are the first thing the second thing is um like big tempo sessions and you know this is what what really might be key to you is doing big tempo sessions at marathon pace so just getting used to either your marathon pace or just a little bit quicker than marathon pace um, so that when it comes to race day, you're completely comfortable at it. So let's say, I don't know, in, in your case, an example could be a 25K and of that 25K, you might do 15Ks at your target marathon pace or a little bit quicker. And you know, the next week you might end up doing like 18Ks at target marathon pace and quicker and then 20 and 24 and 26 and 28 and so on and so forth. And all it's doing is getting your body comfortable and used to that speed so that come race day and race day, you can always find a little bit extra because you've got the crowds, adrenaline, you know, you're fresh, you've tapered for it. Yeah, it's just, it really, you know, it it allows you to be prepared. So training at that speed um, allows you to be able to run at that speed come race day
0: some great points there and i particularly like the first one as well because it's so true it's just doing those same things but just consistently over a period of time it's not one training block it's not two it's over a period of time and it's not dramatically different to what you're doing now and i think that's so important and yeah then talking about the paces as well being comfortable to run at your target pace and also faster than that so your target pace feels comfortable
1: yeah yeah that's exactly it. i mean i think get messages you know, on Instagram from runners asking me, what's my secret? And the, the
0: truth is there actually is no secret.
1: You know, all all my training's on my Strava and, you know, there's it's literally what you put in is what you get out. And with months and years of consistency, you will see really, really good results. And then just touching one more point on that speed. So for example, you know, if I'm going for a sub 15 minute 5K, I need to be really comfortable at three minutes a K. So I can't be doing my, like, let's say track and interval sessions at 3.10 and expect to break that on, on a 5K, like on a race day, I need to start getting comfortable, let's say at 2.55 per kilometer and just getting the legs turning over at that speed. So come race day, three minutes a K actually feels achievable, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just kind of pivoting to a different side right now, you've done interviews, you know, you're a coach, you do public speaking, you've been in this position before and you've been asked similar questions. Like I'm asking you questions about training. Like you said people probably DM you or speak to you as a coach and go, Nick, what's this? What should I be doing about this? Yeah. But if you were sitting on my side, what would you ask yourself as a topic about something that you wanted to talk about that you're not always asked about?
1: That's actually a very good question. I mean, there's what would I ask myself? Probably. What, what motivates me the most yeah, I would say I mean, there's obvious I would say, okay, when when it gets to that point in the race where, you know, you've given it your all, you're feeling exhausted, what makes you you not give up? And then I think my answer or I know my answer to that is that we all have different reasons to run. There's so many physical and mental benefits to running. But for me personally, you know, I use it as therapy and you know, there's a lot of people in my life that that were close to me that are no longer with me, and it's almost like I feel like I connect with them during those phases. And you know, it's it's difficult to explain, but let's just say last five k's of a marathon when you exhausted, you've got nothing left. That's when I find time to connect with the people that have you know aren't with me anymore and have meant most to me in life. So yeah, that's ultimately you know, my my true, true motivation when the times are as tough as they get in running.
0: That's really powerful. And I don't want to take away from what you've just said because I feel like I can relate to it because with people that have passed, it, you feel like their spirit is with you, yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. You along. You can't really describe it to someone. It doesn't make any sense, but you feel like they're running with you they're pushing you.
1: I know. I, I can completely relate. It's like sometimes I look forward to a race because I know I'm going to be with this person again. I know that may sound crazy. Um, and that's sort of like a little personal secret that I'm giving away. But I suppose it's something that I wouldn't normally share and and something that I would would answer my myself if I asked myself about that. So yeah,
0: I think it's amazing to sort of you know delve into these the deeper why's really, because, like you said, we've got that, we've got other reasons of like why we're looking to maybe see what our best looks like, but then we've also got other why's, like you said about the point one and those those little why's that come and go depending on where we are in life and training
1: exactly yeah that's exactly it
0: and you're also a working parent like myself I mean how do you kind of maintain like a sense of rhythm whilst training to a high level coaching and but making sure that you sort of keep to your family duties as well
1: so yeah I'm actually relatively new to the parenting team um, our daughter Haley was born just over three months ago so thankfully and touch with she's been an incredible baby so far she actually she goes to bed at seven at night and wakes up at seven in the morning. Um and yeah, doesn't doesn't make much noise throughout the night, which is extremely rare as as a three month <laughs> old. I think, you know, I gotta give a lot of credit to my wife, Taryn. She's like a creature of habit and gets into routine and has got her into like such a good routine so so that's been really cool so thankfully you know i've been able to to get my my rest and recovery in which i'm a huge fan of you know i always try and get that eight hours and never underestimate the importance of how much eight hours of sleep can give you and then second of all what's what's really been been cool is that you know obviously used to work in the corporate world so it was set corporate hours now that i've you know doing my, my coaching business and sort of working for myself now it's completely flexible which which is great so it's 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 a good and a bad thing so often you know i find myself working on a on a saturday or a sunday or at early hours of the morning or you know late hours in the evening because you know if there's work to do then i get it done but at the same time it's really cool because it's flexible so i can go for my my track session you know, at 10 o'clock and my recovery run at three o'clock and sort of like a family walk in between and then I can work early hours, late hours. So for me, um, you know, part of getting my training in is that's a creature of habits. If you look at my Strava, you will know I basically do the same thing week in and week out and I know sort of the training that I wanna get through in the week and what's gotta be done in order to get me into a position to achieve what I wanna achieve. And yeah, I suppose it's just really cool that that work is flexible and that I'm, I'm able to, to balance the work and the family life. I think what's helped a little bit is lockdown, um, you know, not having to, not, not having to, but not having all those plans, you know, where you're meeting mates at a pub for the Six Nations Rugby here and it's someone's birthday here. So it's, it's I suppose, helped with time wise, but something I'll, I'll definitely sort of keep working on and, and trying to get the balance right going forward
0: yeah it's so encouraging to hear that but my kids were completely opposite <laughs> yeah. like still do not <laughs> find that you know well yeah. my oldest daughter, i think she you know she's getting better but my youngest son is he's, he's still finding it's a little bit challenging but i think that's more so because he's teething at the minute so um yeah
1: Ooh, oh okay cool well when, when i hit that stage i might just give you a call and, and ask for some of your advice i
0: know i know those
1: days are coming um so i'm banking as much good training in, in now as i can
0: Happy to take the call, but not in the time because obviously I've done with my kids doing that at night, so I can't do for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, that's it I'll, I'll run some good. Day. <laughs> I'll, I'll run some good running sessions with
1: you, and and when we do those, you can explain to me how to get the balance right.
0: Oh, mate, uh, to be honest, if i knew then I, I would i would sell it to us i think there's no there's no parenting book is there we just do the best that we can and you know we learn from our, our parents and not that you had less respect for your parents before but i think you gain mm-hmm. so much more respect for your parents when you become a parent because you just realize for sure just how much how much there is to, to being a parent
1: i know i know it's incredible and i mean like you said the, the time and the day just goes and it makes you realize when you haven't slept for long and you're running and you get that feeling where it's like there's something hollow inside your head and you feel like you're dreaming a bit and you're not hitting pace. And that's when you realize actually how important rest is. And then it's a vicious cycle. You go to bed late, you know, a kid wakes up early. You've got a lot of work to do. You do your training session again. So, I mean, it's a constant work in progress. And I mean, I've got one three-month-old. I can imagine, you know, with you and your family commitments, it, it must be a whole lot harder. So, mad respect to you.
0: Mate, I think if we all look to the right, we would always find someone that's kind of got more on on their plate, but kind of managing it. And something that I've sort of seen witness to, especially in the running community, is there's people with so much going on in their lives, but they still manage to get out and train and get the work done. So exactly. I think, you know, respect that's... to everyone doing what they're doing and, and getting it done.
1: It'll just make it um, even sweeter when you do your championship marathon time, um, yeah. you know, and you had your, your family life too. Um, like if you look at the elites, like for example Mo Farah, he'll go and and put himself in Ethiopia for six months, and that's completely understandable. I mean, he's a he's an Olympian, but that's the sort of levels that they go to because they can't have any distractions, um, because they need to you know get their rest in and their training in. So, yeah, I think in a way it it makes things almost sweeter being able to achieve what you do achieve while maintaining a family life.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but my boy was born when I did my sub three, I think he was seven months by the time I did it. So you've got to think obviously the time when he's the newborn and that kind of stuff. So sleep and everything wasn't perfect. So I'm not advocating, you know, poor sleep, but you know, this is parents life, you know, you've got to just do the best with what you can Anyhow, I feel this is like descending down to like a parent sort of <laughs> <laughs> counseling session. What does it say? If
1: I offered you a two fifty five with lots of sleep or a two fifty six with not much sleep and your family life, you would take the two fifty six in your family life all
0: day. yeah, so. yeah exactly. Yeah, if someone gave you the option, you probably definitely would definitely take it for sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move to the, the final leg of the, the conversation. Okay. So firstly, what guess would you like to hear on the show? So someone that's sort of trending at the
1: moment that I would love to see is Mark Scott. He did a 10,000 meter track race the other day and I think he got the second fastest British 10,000 meter time of all time. He did a 27.10 and the fastest is, is obviously Mo Farah. So it would be incredible to, to get him on. I've been following his journey um, on Instagram and yeah, it would be amazing to see, sort of get some insight into to what he's doing to be able to achieve what he does. Yeah, it's really inspirational to see.
0: Awesome. What would you ask him if you could ask him a question?
1: What what do you eat for dinner? <laughs> oh, oh man, it's so funny. Like as a runner, you you sort of you think you know everything, but you always can learn more. There's always bits of advice you can hear, you know, and people that are at that level, it's it's just amazing to to hear what they're doing. Um, I think one thing that I would really like to know is exactly what they do in their training camps. So he goes for a training camp to a high altitude or you know certain sections of the year and I would love some insights into exactly what happens on those training camps.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What makes you feel most empowered? Um that's actually also
1: a very good question. So what makes me feel what gives me a lot of satisfaction and makes me feel empowered is probably seeing results within my coaching group. So, you know, putting a lot of time and effort into someone's training and then seeing results makes me feel empowered to be a part of their lives, to be a part of being able to unlock their talent and just to be a proud coach. Um so yeah, that's really the most satisfying thing for me at the moment is to just, you know, see this this team that's that's still relatively new growing and the phenomenal results coming out of it and the the support that they're giving each other and I mean, it's amazing to see that people have been able to do PBs, despite what's happened over the last year, the way they've been able to maintain their motivation. And I think it's just a slight little taste of what's to come when races actually come. So this is without any official races going on. And I think when official races going on, it's just going to really explode. It's going to be great to see. And I can't wait to to be a part of it and, and run in races with fellow teammates um, that, that are encouraging each other. And you know just trying to do the absolute best they can whether it's a pb on the day or um a step in the right direction it's just cool to be a part of and i can't wait to see it
0: yeah community and that human contact i think is something that we you know is has been quite challenging for for so for so many right now and obviously in you know previous year as well so i think we're definitely all looking forward to getting back there in a safe way obviously
1: yeah oh man there's light at the end of the tunnel it's been so long um that it actually feels so crazy that you're going to line up in a race with that next to other people but you know it might be worth the wait it's going to be really cool so we basically well, what we learned is we've got to make them all count right?
0: absolutely if you could give your younger self one piece of advice what would you give yourself
1: uh so when i initially started running for when i trained for comrades all we did was we ran and that was it we didn't do any important stretching, strength and conditioning, core work, foam rolling. I do that now every day. I do sort of my variation of a morning routine that covers all of that. But I only started doing that when I moved to London four years ago. So for the first three years of my running, all I did was run and I didn't really take care of my body. And yeah, I improved as a runner, but I think I would have improved a whole lot quicker and I would be probably even in a much better position today had I started doing this when I initially started running. But at the time, it was the normal thing. It was the thing that you did training for comrades in South Africa because you're spending a lot of time running and you're getting the mileage and all you do is run. And obviously the, the foam rolling and the strength work and the core work and the stretching, it's time consuming, but it all goes so, so, so far at the end of the day. So I would love to have started doing that in my early years of running. And I suppose if someone's listening to this now, that's just started doing running or that is neglecting that stuff, never underestimate the importance of it i I often say a lot of the the reason how i've gone from let's say a three-hour marathon runner to a 230 is consistency but it's also about doing you know these routines consistently yeah they go very long way at the end of the day
0: and i like the way you do it you make it part of your day it's not something like oh you have to do and you make it 10 minutes you can be like well i've got five ten minutes to do that and then little and often all adds up so i think i like the way that you you sort of you've done that as well and
1: yeah. I, I find it's just so much easier to have like a set routine and a set sort of time to do it um, because then it just becomes part of your normal day. I mean, let's be honest, no one in the world loves foam rolling and loves doing these <laughs> stretches and core cool work and all of that. But you know what people do love is doing PBs and getting better and faster. Um, and these go a long way towards that. So yeah, I think if you establish a routine, it becomes part of normal life. If you don't establish a routine, it feels like a little bit of a, a weight on your shoulder and a mission at the end of the day, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Where can people follow your journey online? So
1: um, you can get me on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is just a little bester. So just a L I L bester. Um, my website is it's also www.just a um, On Strava, I'm Nick Bester at just a little bester. And those are probably my main my main three handles at the moment. They can you can get my email address um, just by by messaging me, but that's just a little best at gmail.com.
0: Nick, it's been great talking to you and just finding a little bit more about you, delving into the run of the person behind social media, behind the coach. And I think there's so many things that you do are so relatable, and I think it's so good to sort of see the challenges that you face and just the importance of community. And why you do it so you no know, thank you for being a guest on a runner's life podcast
1: great thanks marcus it was so good to chat to you and i can't wait to to link up for some sessions get you into marathon pb shape and i'm really looking forward to to lining up with you at london marathon later this year it's exciting times ahead so yeah thanks very much and, and looking forward to seeing you soon
0: and likewise mate thank you
1: been a pleasure chatting to you cheers
0: thank you for listening to this episode of a runner's life if you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels, and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. If you want to get updates on the podcast, or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at the marathon markers. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.